You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Genesis chapter 48. Um, man, you guys have been going through Genesis and it's coming to a close. And uh, I was greatly honored when uh, Dave asked me to teach out of the text. And uh, this text particularly, it's uh, closing the narrative of Jacob and Joseph. And uh, Joseph is, uh, he, he gets word that his dad is becoming old. And in fear of him getting old and dying, he gets his two sons and he wants to bring them to Jacob so that Jacob will bless them. And uh, we're going to go ahead and pick up with the story in verse 8, where it reads, Jacob looked over at the two boys, and he says, are these your sons? Yes, Joseph told them. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. Jacob said, bring them closer so that I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him, and Jacob kissed them and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. So Joseph moved to the boys who were at their grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim's toward Jacob's left hand. And with the left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms and reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy. And his left hand the hand of the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all of my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May he preserve my name and the name of Abraham and Isaac. May their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset and he saw that his father placed the right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted and to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said. This is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people. But his younger brother will become greater. And his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day. With this blessing, 
the people of Israel will use their names when given a blessing. They will say, may God make and prosper you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And this way, Jacob put his Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Jacob said to Joseph, look, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I have given you and your brothers, I am giving you an extra portion of the land that I had taken from the Amorites with my sword and bow. The word of the Lord. Father, we ask that through your word that you have preserved wonderfully wonderfully for us that you would speak to our heart, mind, and soul in regards to this blessing, in regards to how you revealed yourself as shepherd. We invite you to speak. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say this morning, this season, through this text. We trust you. We need you. We yield to you. As your son, Jacob, we ask that you would govern us. Oh, God, have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. From the appearance of this chapter, it seems to be boring when you consider the narrative of Jacob. You see, um, Jacob, there was the wrestling with God. There was the stairway to heaven, the scamming of birthrights. Don't forget about all the family drama. And then you have this chapter, the switching of the heads and his hand. So there there seems to be maybe like a boring chapter, yet it's very significant. And here's why I say that. You read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Many of you are familiar with Hebrews 11. is known as the hall of faith. And in this chapter are the patriarchs listed of old. Abraham, because of his faith, he offered up his son as a sacrifice. Moses is mentioned as one of faith who would pass through the Red Sea on dry land. And the walls of Jericho came down because of the faith that Joshua had. And then it lists others. What is said of Jacob? The summary of Jacob's life is not the one who saw the stairway, not the one who wrestled with God, or the one who scammed the birthright. No, Hebrews 11.21 says this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both his sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. This chapter is very significant in the narrative of Joseph and Jacob. And this text in Hebrews 11 gives us a little more insight that is not mentioned in Genesis 48. And that is, as a result of this blessing that is given to the sons, it says that Jacob worshiped. I believe today in regards to this text, that will be our response. It should be our response continually, but specifically for this season, for this moment, I believe that is the proper response that we need to have 
one of a heart to worship. You see, this chapter is very significant. And what I'd like to do is narrow down three points that stick out in this text. And that is the switch. This funny move of Jacob. It's like a, it's like a New York uh, street scamming move. It's like keep your eyes on the hands and the heads and watch what happens. It's pretty interesting. Then the shepherd as a second point. First recorded in the Bible, God is seen as and named shepherd for the very first time. And then I'd like to close with the steady finish. Though Jacob was losing his physical sight, he gains a confident spiritual vision which allows him to finish well. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I desire to finish well. It's not about how you start. It's how you finish. Many of us, maybe you didn't start right. My starting wasn't so good. For a vast majority of my life, I made messes, ruins. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was early 20s. Before that, I made lots of messes. Like Jacob, he made a lot of messes, maneuvers, scamming, bad decisions. I think a lot of us would identify with that. Bad decisions made. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Amen? So with that, we're going to look first with the switch it's remarkable how Jacob did the switch of the blessing on Ephraim and Manasseh. He put the bigger blessing on the younger against the custom of the day. So much so that jo Joseph's anticipation was that the older son would receive the blessing. Yet Jacob himself received the blessing from God as the younger if you remember the text, instead of his older brother, Esau, the blessing from God was given to the younger, Jacob. This shows that God goes against man's expectation. God chooses the unlikely. In that culture, similar to today's culture, it was the firstborn the firstborn son that is given the rights. Even myself and my family, my dad had four daughters and then he had a son, Richard Jr. Then there was me, the sixth, the younger. It's pretty interesting that in, in my life I can really honestly reflect that the younger is always kind of seen as um, the unlikely. Um, me being um, the sixth, I'm a little darker than all my other siblings, and if I had my hair still, it used to be a fro, <laughs> and they used to clown me all the time. They would say, you know, you were actually found. <laughs> You're not actually a Taurus. That's why you're a little darker. 
and you look a little different. And they used to clown me all the time. I was for sure the unlikely. My dad, my dad, when he used to go on errands, he would walk into my room, and I remember this clearly. I'd be playing with my, my brother, and he would say, okay, we're going to the store, and we'd both stand up, and he'd say, no. And he'd point to my, my brother. He'd say, I meant you. And, 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 and it's so wrong. This idea is so wrong. And yet, I love the heart of God. It's so right that his hand of grace and mercy is to the unlikely. God shows mercy and he chooses unlikely people. We see this throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, God chooses the least likely. Think of King David. When a, when a king was to be chosen for Israel, God sends the prophet Samuel to go to Jesse, who had many sons, and he was to choose a king. And so Jesse, honored and privileged, brings out all his sons, and he lines them up, and we're told that they're tall in stature, and they're handsome. And I imagine they had some guns. So the prophet goes down the line, says, no, not this one, not this one, not this one, all the way down the line. Then he scratches his head and he looks to Jesse, says, is there any others? God has not chosen any of these. Jesse's like, wait, are you sure? I only have one more son, but he's, he's the kid out in, in the field tending the sheep. Again, this is kind of my life story. I mean, here, you're, you're calling your sons to, together. And the younger is not even brought in, not even considered. He's like the red-headed stepchild. No offense to redheads. Got any redheads in the house? I got nothing but love for the reds. Because I'm all for the underdog. David was the underdog redhead that was brought in. And listen, even his dad, even his dad was scratching his head going, wait, him? Are you sure? Even Samuel's like, okay, God, are you sure? The redheaded stepchild? And then God speaks to the prophet who speaks to Jesse, who speaks to the sons, and who speaks to all humanity and says, it is not the outer that God is concerned with. It's the heart of a man. The heart of a man. God does not look at the outer appearance. God is not concerned with what our culture is concerned about. I love the heart of God. Choosing the unlikely. Think of King Solomon. He was least likely. His mom was Bathsheba, which represented the black mark of adultery and murder. 
Still, he was chosen above all the other brothers. Even though all the other brothers were trying to scam in there, ultimately, it was Solomon. And this is so good for you and I to remember. It's so good for you and I to see the heart of God because we, you and I, are unlikely. You and I are unlikely because you and I were wretched. The Bible declares us as enemies of God and yet we were chosen as the least likely. God's grace extended to you and I, the underdog. Even the angels would look and say, are you sure? Yes, you and I, least unlikely. God's grace extended to us. His hand, just as Jacob's hand was laid upon Ephraim, we too are chosen as the least unlikely. I love what it says in verse 11 when, when Jacob says, man, I never expected to see your face speaking to his son who, who he thought he had lost. And now I'm able to see your children as well. Jacob's blessing here is against all odds. For Jacob, it just seemed unfathomable that this moment would take place equally for humanity. It was against all odds that God's hand of grace would be extended to you and I. Unlikely sinners saved by the grace of God. And just as Jacob extends his hand of blessing upon the heads of these sons, it goes beyond blessing. Did you read in the text that he adopts them as his own? He says to Joseph that they will be mine. Which qualifies them to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Which meant land and favor and authority. And you and I equally, the hand of God, the grace of God extended to us. According to Ephesians chapter 1, you and I also unlikely have been called to be adopted, accepted, chosen in the beloved to be inheriting the riches of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Unlikely story that the hand and mercy of God would be extended to wicked men and women. And that, that beyond that blessing of salvation, that we would be able to inherit the kingdom of God, that we would be able to be adopted. And that is what's taking place in Genesis 48. We see an adoption to these sons. And as his hand of righteousness has been laid upon us as sons and daughters, friends, we who were unlikely, we who were lost, have been given 
great privilege and are now highly favored. This same hand of mercy that has been laid upon us also guides us and leads us and protects us. Just as it did Jacob. Which leads us to our next point. The fact that Jacob referred to God as a shepherd is so significant. Genesis 48, 15 reads, The God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this very day. The angel of protection. When I was making stupid mistakes, there was a shepherd who was protecting me. In the New King James, it translates the God who has fed me. I, I love in the Hebrew that th- this definition of shepherd is one who, who uh, tends, who feeds, who rules, who teaches, who herds, who protects. That is the definition and occupation of a shepherd. And it's so significant when, when Jacob refers to God as his shepherd. Shepherds at that time were disgusting to the Egyptians. But to Jacob, he was very familiar with the role of a shepherd because that's what he was. That's what his sons were. They were shepherds. And this is so significant because in naming God shepherd, Jacob both testified of God's work and explains what God personally had revealed to him, a new attribute to all society. You and I in humanity now know God as a shepherd because here in this text, God is revealing to Jacob an attribute which has great significance. We're all familiar with, even non-believers are familiar with Psalms like Psalm 23, the, the Lord's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You, you hear it in movies and you read it and people memorize it. It's significant only if truly understood in a way that Jacob did. I like what it says in Psalm 81. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Significant that you and I gain a greater understanding of God as shepherd. Beyond just a phrase, beyond just what looks good on paper, like it looks, it seems warm and fuzzy to call God a shepherd. Matthew 2, 6 says this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy is given about who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfills the role as a good shepherd, as he would declare himself as the good shepherd. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life 
for his sheep. Church, brothers and sisters, can I get an amen to a Savior who would lay down his life, who would allow us to inherit the kingdom of God, to be sons and daughters of this great I am because the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life. See, we grow to embrace Jesus as shepherd and, and we should continue to seek to mature in understanding as Jesus as the chief shepherd. It's the very ecclesiology of this church. There is no senior pastor outside of Jesus Christ. Dave Lomas is not your senior pastor. Jesus Christ is. And that holds great confidence that this body of believers, as you guys gather, are shepherded by none other than Jesus Christ. That brings great confidence when you walk through these doors. That not some man is leading you, but the hand of God leading and directing you. Because God has declared Jesus Christ, his son, as the good shepherd. The chief shepherd. And this understanding of God as shepherd is what helped Jacob to finish well. And this last point, steadying the finish to be able to walk in closing of his life, to be able to finish well. Not many finish well. And friends, if, if you, like myself, desire to finish well, we've got to give great attention to what is being said. Jacob is able to finish well because of his understanding of who God is as his shepherd. It's significant because speaking of God as shepherd meant that Jacob was willing to see himself as a sheep. And again, Jacob, being a shepherd himself by trade, was very familiar with the vulnerable, foolish, needy nature of sheep. Sheep primarily are dumb, disgusting, and dirty. And it took a great deal of humility for Jacob to now at this point to see himself as a sheep. It's an important shift in his life. And I believe it's an important shift in our lives when we're able to grow in our understanding as God, as the shepherd, as Jesus Christ, as the chief shepherd who leads, guides, and protects the flock. And one of the points that I'm trying to make is, is that that word shepherd, it's so often, it's, it's like that fuzzy good feeling like, yeah, I agree with that. But there needs to be a shift in your heart that demands humility that allows you to identify with a dumb, disgusting animal. Okay. I don't want to buy into that. 
Why? Because there's the, the prideful nature. We don't, we don't want to be seen as dumb sheep. And yet, this was so significant in the life of Jacob. It's a big contrast to who Jacob used to be in the early parts of Genesis. Genesis 42, 36, when he thought his whole world was falling apart. All these things are against me. Yet they were not against him. God was for him. But his unbelief kept him from enjoying this relationship with his holy God. You see, at that time in Genesis 40, in those chapters, he repeatedly depended upon his own strength. Trying to prove himself to his parents, to his uncle, to Rachel, to his brother. He didn't really see himself as a vulnerable lamb who needed a shepherd to lead him. Also, Jacob spent many years in extreme grief because of the uh, disappearance of his son, Joseph. I believe if he just allowed the shepherd to lead him, he would have had a greater understanding of what God was doing. But yet he was almost paralyzed because of the grief. And because he was paralyzed, it didn't allow him to be the proper father, the proper leader of a clan. And so that's why it's so significant that in this text, we see him finish well because he was willing to humble himself in the sight of God, referring himself to as a lamb who was in need of a shepherd. Seeing himself as a sheep acknowledged that God was dealing with him by grace. And that humble perspective, brothers and sisters, ultimately allowed him to finish well. At the end of his life, Jacob now is in a healthy place, a mature believer. Though he is losing his physical vision, he gains a confident vision. That's what allows him to, to make the wise decision to do the switch. And when, when Joseph says, no, 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 no. Dad, I think you're, you, you're old and you're losing it. What does he say to Joseph? I know, son. I know. He had a confidence. Whereas before in the earlier chapters of, of Genesis 40, I, I don't think there was that great degree of confidence. But now there's confidence. Friends, you and I need confidence in the decisions that we make daily. And as we allow the Lord to be our shepherd, we're able to make wise decisions. See, the big picture here is the extended grace towards humanity. The big picture that we see in, in, in Jacob laying hands and blessing the younger, the least likely, we see that God is good to us just as God was good to Jacob. God was good to Jacob because of the covenant he made with Abraham. God is good to you and I because of the covenant he made with Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus, as the good shepherd, 
allows us to be led properly. In a world that, that demands our attention, in a world that demands uh, so much from us, all the more are we in need to humble ourselves in the sight of God, that he would lead us as the good shepherd. In closing, in desiring to finish well, and, and, and I don't know about you, but not only finish well, but just to just steady my walk. See, so often as believers, we, we have highs and lows, and, 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 and that's, that's going to be the case often. But my desire is to, to walk worthy of the calling that Christ has on me. And that is only going to come if I'm willing to humble myself, identify myself with a, an animal, a dirty, disgusting animal. And by doing that, friends, we, we truly, as, as the scriptures in, in both 1 Peter and James, where it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's in that position like Jacob, it's in that position we allow God most likely to be glorified in our lives to lead, guide, protect us. I want to close with this idea. And, and, and I really believe that, that the Lord has this for this season, for you as a uh, a body of believers. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 23. And if you don't have your Bibles, I have the scripture uh, up there, but, but I, I really, and maybe if you have it on your phone, I, I'd rather you get it, it close to you. Because if we want to identify the Lord as our shepherd, I want us to be confident and blessed in knowing that. In our second set of worship, as you come forward and take communion and remembering the covenant, remembering what Christ has done as a good shepherd who, led, who laid down his life for us, I want us to meditate on that and really grow in our knowledge of what the significance means to us at this moment. Because I believe this is what God is wanting to do. He's wanting us to reflect and respond to this text. I would ask you, as we memorized, many of us memorized verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Have you found yourself in want? What are you obsessed with? Are you obsessed with self, self-recognition? Are you obsessed with a relationship? Are you obsessed as a single person to being married? well then you are in want and you need to allow the good shepherd to minister to you and to allow you to be steadied. Maybe you are married but you've been looking at greener pastures. You need to come and get on your face and allow the grace of God to remind you that he has led you to green pastures. 
Have you found yourself stressed out? Allow the good shepherd to speak and minister to you to peacefully lead you to still waters. He wants to do that, friends. There's some among us right now who need to be restored. There's some among us who, who, who f- feel uneasy in their walk. You, you feel unsteady in your walk. God is wanting to minister to you as the good shepherd. And I would implore you to come, to get on your face, bring your Bible, and just read through this text and ask God how he is speaking because the Spirit is wanting to lead you in confession. Maybe you feel broken and you need to be restored. Maybe gripped by fear, you come this morning in need of a shepherd to lead you through the valley of shadow of death. See, as believers, we're called to fear no evil. God is wanting to give you that confidence if you would humble yourself. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Listen, it's easy to say, but oftentimes, We dodge the rod of God. We know how to manipulate things. See, we gather in settings like this. The word of God is spoken and conviction is setting in, but you know how to dodge the rod of God. Even though that rod brings comfort, we know how to maneuver ourselves. The second set of worship, all of a sudden you gotta go to the bathroom and then all of a sudden you're like, I might as well scram. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, you know what? I should go to that restaurant to get in line for so all my friends will be blessed. And what you're really doing is you're dodging the rod of God. (sighs) Friends, though the rod may hurt, though it may sting, it brings comfort. Because in that correction, it restores you back to the shepherd. Why would you dodge? I don't know about you. When I was little, when I was got whoopings, you, you always try to block and you did this move. You guys know that move? Maybe you're, I'm old school and they don't do whoopings anymore, but I know this move. That's generally the knee-jerk reaction of believers when they hear the rod coming. They want to protect themselves. Just embrace it because ultimately it leads you back into the arms restored to your shepherd. So as the worship team comes forward, I want you guys to now really allow the spirit to speak. Come, get on your face, receive the grace, be restored. Maybe it's not repentance, you just need restoration. Either way, let's all together as brothers and sisters, as sheep, let's allow him to hurt us. Amen? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We desire now to respond properly. We desire, Lord, all that you have for us.
We want to be a people who finish well. And some of us, Lord, are, have wandered. There's some among us who have squandered and manipulated and dodged. And you're calling us back in to embrace and kiss and love and restore. So, Lord, give us the proper positioning of the humble, right spirit. Holy Spirit, come and lead us to green pastures. We need you. We confess our utter need for you. And so we yield to your authority, your governing authority. Come, have your way with us.